scale out of your calculations if you live near him. Now, the book is fantasy, and as far as we know, hobbits are Tolkien's own, own invention. But I live near a dragon, all too near, and I think we all do. He seeks whom he can devour, and we seldom give him a thought. It would not do to leave him out of our calculations. We continue today in the book of Revelation. And at the end of chapter 11, we got to the end of the Lamb's judgment of those who dwell on the earth. Revelation's phrase for those people who are opposed to the will of God. Now in chapter 12, John backs up the truck and tells his story from a spiritual, from a cosmic perspective. And we see the battle between good and evil in a realm beyond the physical and tangible, but a realm that is no less real. In both stories, the human and the spiritual will meet with the destruction of God's enemies. Man, systems, Satan, death. So chapter 12 begins with John seeing two signs in heaven, as if in the heavenlies, not God's home, but in the realm of spiritual things. is a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. Now, who is this? The answer is in the language used. Back up to Genesis 37, where Jacob's son, Joseph, has a dream. I have dreams, including people I haven't seen or thought about in 35 years. I don't think they are from God or have anything to do with the future. Christine, on the other hand, had a dream, and her daughter had a dream that had everything to do with the future. And Joseph's dream is like that. He dreamed that the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me, to Joseph. But when he told it to his father and brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground? So Jacob understood from Joseph's dream that the sun and the moon and the stars refer to his own family. His 12 sons would become the patriarchs of Israel, the nation of God's people, through whom God would keep his promise to bless the world. So the woman of revelation, clothed with the sun, moon, and stars, is Jacob and his sons and their people, national Israel. And Isaiah now, 1,000 years later, takes up the image of Israel as a pregnant woman, like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth. So were we because of you, O Lord. And we have accomplished no delay. Have not fallen. Are we okay?
How's that? I'll get another mic. And I'll stay close, Jeff. I'll stay close. Isaiah 26, like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhe. We have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. <clears throat> pregnant, writhing in pain, no epidural, but no blessing, no deliverer. And yet God promises, just a few verses later, 27 verse 1, In that day the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon in the sea. So the second sign John sees, first sign the woman, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This is no how-to-train-your-dragon dragon. It's not smog from The Hobbit. It's not cartoon. It's not fantasy. Verse 9, the dragon, the serpent, the devil, Satan, the deceiver. He stands before the woman. He's crouched, bearing his fangs, claws at the ready. It does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. There is a dragon. There are Demons, fallen angels, one-third of the stars. Stars routinely uh, stand in Scripture for angels. So the dragon sweeps down a third of them to fight alongside him. Dragons, demons, God's purposes do not go forth without opposition, without conflict. Etchel told us about the survey that we were trying to fill in. We're seeking God's purposes, and they will not move forward without opposition. It's why there's Crimea and ISIS and Boko Haram. It's why there's homelessness and bullying and drunk driving. It's why in my own heart there's criticism and pride and often a lack of faith. Satan and those who side with him are perpetually, violently at war with God. At the birth of Christ, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that Herod tried actively to kill the baby Jesus, even putting to death the babies of Bethlehem in expectation that Jesus would be among them. But Revelation reveals a bigger picture, a dragon seeking to devour God's promised deliverer. 
And Herod wasn't a pawn. Humans are not pawns. But he was a player in a much bigger war than he realized. The first sounding of the birth of Christ, the deliverer, is at the very, very beginning. In Genesis 3, when God curses the serpent who tempted Eve to beat the, eat the forbidden fruit, he says, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And from Eden, through Israel's history, through the time of Isaiah, at last there comes Mary, a teenage girl of national Israel, and of Mary was born Jesus the Christ. And Isaiah is the man that Israel is like a pregnant woman that gives birth to wind, that accomplishes no deliverance, is finally fulfilled in Jesus. In Jesus is fulfilled God's promise that the head of the serpent would be crushed. In Jesus is fulfilled God's promise that one would be born who would strike the serpent's head, one who would take the sword of the Lord and punish Leviathan, the serpent, and slay the dragon. And Revelation 12 takes us to the woman, to Eve and her offspring, to Israel, to Mary, and the birth of the child, the deliverer. But Genesis 3 also says, that a serpent would bruise his heel. And we'll talk more about that next week. But we too are players in a war that, is, that we don't often think of. When was the last time you imagined yourself as a soldier on a battlefield? You weren't imagining. We imagine when we think we're not on a battlefield. And every time you're faced with a choice between right and wrong, between good and evil, it's not simply a choice. It's an act of war. One of many in a war that includes a dragon, demons, angels, Christians, non-Christians. In that moment, you strike a blow or you receive a blow. To kill somebody or not. To gossip or not. To build up or not. To help or not. To actively do wrong. To passively do nothing in the face of wrong. Or to do right. To encourage, to rob, to honor, to rape with a body or lust in the mind. To make the choice to be pure. And already on this day, already today, you have made a choice between good and evil. All of us, this morning, what was that choice? And what did you do? Strike a blow for the lamb or receive a blow? In a video game that my kids play, there's something called HP, stands for health points. And when you're out of health, po health points, you're done. And every choice that we make, we either gain health points 
we deplete in health points. There is no neutral. It's a war. And in a sense, the dragon still stands in your heart. He still prowls there, seeking those who he can devour. It is not due to leave a dragon out of your calculations if you leave, live near him. And by the way, it should be said that just as a woman stands for Mary and also the people of God, so the dragon stands for Satan and his falling angels. Satan himself does not prowl everyone's heart. He can't. He's not the opposite and equal of Jesus. He's not omnipresent. I don't think Satan knows who I am. It would be arrogant for me to think that he pays attention to me in a world with 8 billion. But there are demons in my world, and I need to guard against them. The Lord said to Cain, and this is true for all of us, I think, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. In every choice that we make between good and evil, right and wrong, we choose to master or be mastered by sin. Revelation 12, verse 5. The woman gave birth to a male child. Um, the Christmas story, Luke 2, verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. The woman gave, gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and his throne. Psalm chapter 2. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. But the dragon is outwitted. The child is caught up to God and his throne. He ascended to the right hand of God. He stands in the place of honor. He is established as king. He will reign forever because he is a king of kings. He is a lord of lords. Revelation 19, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. Then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword, a hard sword, with which to strike down the nation, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. This is a child born by the woman. 
His victory, his reign is sure. But the dragon still fights. In the First World War, there were thousands of casualties in the two days when everyone knew an armistice would be signed. And even in the very morning of Armistice Day, the outcome of the war is certain, but the dragon still fights on, and there are casualties. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for her by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now notice, the woman is not caught up to God with the child. The woman is not given an out-of-the-way paradise till the war is all done. The woman flees to the wilderness. But nevertheless, she is nourished by God there. It is a place prepared for her by God. Now, do you find yourself in a wilderness? Do you find yourself in a wilderness? Could it be that God has prepared you for that wilderness and has prepared a place for you in that wilderness? Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before he was ready to lead God's people out of slavery. Elijah spent 40 days in the wilderness before meeting God and receiving his marching orders. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness after leaving Egypt, preparing them to enter their land, their home. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness before embarking on his mission to redeem the world. How many of you are in a wilderness? The wilderness of grief. The wilderness, wilderness of sickness. The wilderness of marriage. The wilderness of being single. Often people enter marriage hoping it will give them life, but instead it drains life. After Easter, by the way, we're going to hold here at the church a four-week session uh, on marriage strengthening for anyone who wants to nudge their marriage forward because marriage can feel like a wilderness. Being single can feel like a wilderness. Maybe you're in the wilderness because of a circumstance you find yourself in or a wilderness of a crisis of faith. There's three kinds of people in the world. Those who are in a wilderness, those who have just emerged from a wilderness, and those who are about to enter a wilderness. I read this this morning, just getting used to saying it out loud, and James was in the room, my oldest boy, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's three kinds of people in the world, those who are in a wilderness, those who just come out, and those who are about to enter? I said, yeah, I think so. And he said, but that means that there's nobody around who has been out of the wilderness for a long time. And I said, I don't think there is. Wilderness, wildernesses come into all of our lives, and not just once, but more than once, repeatedly. We hate the wilderness. We'd much rather be in an 
all-inclusive resort on the Caribbean than in a half-star hotel in Death Valley. But it seems that the wilderness is God's place of provision, of forming. It seems that God nourishes in the wilderness. It seems that the road home passeth through Death Valley. It passes by the cross. But let's not be Moses. Let's not be Elijah by ourselves in the wilderness. Let's be Israel, a people in the wilderness. Look around. Even right now, just look around. No, seriously, look around. <laughs> Who is in the wilderness? A great many people. Who else is carrying a burden? You're not alone. You are not alone. In the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Derek Redmond was a runner in the 400 meters. And he posted the fastest time in his opening trial run. And he won the quarterfinal. But in the semifinal, with 250 meters to go, his hamstring snapped. And he fell in great pain. And stretcher, stretcher bearers made their way over to him. But Redmond decided he was going to finish the race. And he began to hobble along the track. And he was soon joined on the track by his father, Jim, who barged past security to get to his son. And Jim and Derek completed last lap of the race together, with Derek leaning on his father's shoulder for support. And as they crossed the finish line, the crowd of 65,000 spectators rose to give Derek a standing ovation. That's what we do. We help each other. On the road through the wilderness, we go home together. We cross the finish line together. Revelation 12 sets history in this context. God working through his people to bring a deliverer. A dragon and his demons, heaven and earth, one who is at the right hand of God, who will crush the head of the serpent, who will punish the serpent and slay the dragon. The dragon strikes terror now, and we have a part to play. More on that next week. It seems like at any moment the dragon might devour whatever God is doing, but he will be slain. He will. It is not due to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. But nor does it do to leave a dragon slayer out of your calculations if you live near him. And I pray that we all do. Let's pray.